You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Happy Thursday uh, to you and yours. The weekend's almost here. It's the day before Friday, uh, and I've got a fantastic show uh, planned for us today. We're going to dive back into the sports world a little bit today. Uh, Bruce Arians, uh, the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he has uh, stepped aside and moved up to the front office, if you can call that moving up. Uh, there are rumors that I started a couple of weeks ago that uh, Tom Brady is forcing Bruce Arians out and, and used his brief retirement as a leverage play uh, against Bruce Arians. We'll get into all of that uh, with T.J. Moe, uh, not just from the Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, is there a rift? Did Brady force him out? I think I said it a couple of weeks ago that Brady is starting to conduct himself and, and operate in kind of the same fashion as LeBron James, that success works just like uh, talent. And, and eventually, you know, whether you have excess talent or excess success, you start using that leverage to get your way. And that's part of the reason that Tom Brady left New England. He didn't want to do things Bill Belichick's way. And to me, he certainly doesn't want to do, thing, do things uh, Bruce Arians' way, so he's forced him out. And now Todd Bowles is the new Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach. A lot of pressure on Todd Bowles. Anyway, we'll get into that with T.J. Moe. Uh, Steve Kim's going to come in, and we'll talk a little bit more about Brady and Tampa. Uh, but we'll also talk about uh, Colin Kaepernick and Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh is the biggest publicity whore <laughs> that in all of sports. Is that right? Can I, it, I need to think that one through. I just said that off the top of my head. But I don't know anybody in sports that will do anything for attention, anything to uh, appear to be cool, uh, from camping out in some kid's front yard, to hiring a female coach, to now making Colin Kaepernick the captain of the spring football game and having Colin Kaepernick come and speak to your kids. Uh, so a football coach has brought the world's ultimate victim and set him up as a prop, as you know, something for his kids to aspire to. Uh, this is amazing, but it does not surprise me. I, 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 years ago, I was a Jim Harbaugh fan. I'm just not. I, I just, I don't, I just not. I think Jim Harbaugh spent too much time at Stanford. Uh, I think Jim Harbaugh spent too much time with the San Francisco 49ers. I think Jim Harbaugh grew up in Ann Arbor, a place I used to work, and one of the most 
liberal places in all of the Midwest, uh, and he's just gone too far. He is just too woke for me, and bringing Colin Kaepernick on and setting him out there as a prop for these young kids makes no sense to me, but it doesn't surprise me coming from Jim Harbaugh. We'll get Steve Kim's take on that. We'll also talk about uh, the Final Four this weekend with Steve Kim. Uh, People are calling this North Carolina Duke game one of the most anticipated games in NCAA basketball history. It could be Coach K's final game, and he's playing against his hated rival, North Carolina. First time Duke and North Carolina have ever met in the NCAA tournament. Oh my God, tune in for the history. This is just incredible. I'm on the edge of my seat. What's gonna happen to Coach K? As you can tell by the tone of my voice, I'm not too excited, but we'll talk about that with Steve Kim. Uh, Uncle Jimmy uh, will be here. Uh, he's itching. He's got a, a little new wrinkle on the uh, Fresh Prince, Will Smith, and the Chris Rock slap heard all around the world. He's going to break that down. And then we'll do an approval rating on Bruce Arians. So that's today's show. Uh, the fire I'm going to start will be based around the conversations uh, that I have with TJ Moe and Steve Kim. I don't have some big, long I went 78 minutes straight yesterday, uh, starting a fire, fanning the flames. All this week, I've been unloading on this Will Smith situation. And so today, we're gonna start a different kind of fire. We're gonna rub two sticks together and start a fire. A little slow, a little primitive, uh, but uh, TJ Moe, uh, welcome back to the show, the show me kid. Uh, Tom Brady sycophant uh, that you are. Uh, <laughs> TJ had a cup of coffee with the Patriots and Tom Brady after his Mizzou football career ended. Uh, he's a huge Tom Brady fan. And look, I- I'm not arguing, TJ, that Bruce Arians uh, stepping aside here is a bad look for Tom Brady. I'm not arguing that Tom Brady has done something inappropriate here, but If Tom Brady wanted Bruce Arians to still be the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Bruce Arians would still be the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. To me, it's clear as day, Tom Brady and Bruce Arians didn't get along last year. And uh, part of his uh, reason for staying and part of his conditions for uh, to returning to football and staying in Tampa was like, hey man, we gotta do something about Bruce Arians. Th- this just didn't work. And and I, I think that he briefly retired to hammer that point. I've read reports that he was told either the day of or the day after coming out of retirement that Bruce Arians would be you know, moving on up or, or moving on out. Uh, I don't know, what does, do you agree that Tom Brady clearly had something to do with pushing Bruce Arians out of the head coaching job in in Tampa? I think there's no doubt. And if you remember several weeks ago, I guess maybe even right, right after his retirement, I came on the show and said, the reason I think he's retiring is because of Bruce Arians. And you said you would not say that this is necessarily a bad look for Tom Brady. I disagree. I think this this changes my perception of him. I I spent a while thinking about this last night. There's a big difference between saying, hey, man, I, I've been playing quarterback for 20 years. I know how to do a game plan. I get it, but you brought me in here to have 
a big say in this offense. Let me have my room. You run the team. It's all good. But let me let me help do the offense. There's a big difference between doing that and forcing a head coach out. So I spent several hours last night thinking about this. It took Tom Brady less than three years to completely turn his back on the culture that helped mold him into the greatest player of all time. We understand in order to be the GOAT, you've got to have talent, desire, work ethic. There's a ton of things involved to reach that level. That is a given. But what takes great players and turns them into the greatest of all time is the culture that is inculcated in them and the rest of the organization. And that opens the door for sustained success and dominance that you won't get just by having talent. Talented people win all the time. The greatest of all time is not just talented. They have a culture that allows that dominance to continue for as long as they can sustain that culture. And culture is a very difficult thing to sustain. The Patriot way was that culture. It was a team first, personal accountability, mental toughness, no excuses, work hard, do your own job, and everything will work out in the end. You know, when I was in New England, Belichick told me one time, it was just off the cuff, we were staying in the hallway, he said, TJ, we value dependability a whole lot more than ability around here. In his view, he believed that the culture produces the desired result as long as everybody focuses on their own job. And so there were very clear boundaries and everyone understood what was expected of them. If you're the head coach, you do the duties of the head coach. If you're the general manager, you do the duties of the general manager. It happens to be both with Belichick. But every person, if, if you are the left tackle, stop trying to tell the receiver what to do. That's not your job. Stay in your lane. And that is how they were able to create this culture that of, of having a two-decade long time of sustained success. I think you could boil the Patriot way down to two things. Do your own job and put the team first. It, if, if you, there's a ton of things involved. Those two things are the Patriot way. Tom Brady did that in new England and it helped mold him into the greatest player of all time. Since he left new England, let's evaluate what has happened to him. He's played quarterback. That's a good thing. He's, he wants to run the offense. Not necessarily a good thing. He's played general manager personally calling all his friends and the guys that he had that didn't quite work out in new England with Antonio Brown, bring him back. I need my guy. So he's played general manager. And now he's playing owner. He wants to decide who gets to be the head coach. I'll do the interviews. Let me handpick my guys. He's gotten to a place, I think, where he is more of a manipulator and control freak than he is a team first guy who's doing his own job. And to me, if you can, if you have 20 years of doing something, virtually your entire adult life of doing something, and you can turn around in three years and turn your back on that, one, I think that's difficult to do. There's gotta be something in your ear that says, hey, this doesn't feel quite right. And, and it also changes his reputation to me, at least my evaluation. Perhaps I look at it way deeper than maybe other people do. But there was a time where Tom Brady was synonymous with the Patriot way. He embodied it, no social media, no documentaries. Everything was about the team. There was, there was a certain mystery to him because he knew that giving his opinion to the media and putting himself and his thoughts first as though he spoke for the whole team didn't do the team any good. So he ignored all the external distractions, spent every waking moment trying to figure out how to get to the Super Bowl with the guys he had to work with. That is it. No excuses. Put your head down and work. Now he's decided he's bigger than that. 
He decided he knows best how to do his job, the general manager's job, the owner's job, and he can run everything. And if not, he'll go do it somewhere else. Trade me to the Dolphins. To me, it seriously undercuts his reputation. High school coaches used to be able to point to Tom Brady and say that the greatest of all time, that is the example of a player who knows how to conduct himself, who cares about the team more than himself. And that's the greatest guy to ever do it. If you guys want to have sustained success and be the greatest to ever do it, act like Tom Brady. And I don't think you can do that anymore. Mm. Wow. You've said a mouthful. Let me play devil's advocate. I I can't fully disagree with anything you said, but I do want you to consider these things that I think are going on in Tom Brady's head. And and he's just a human being. And Mm. so Again, when you have as much success as he had, and we've already established that, that's going to create some little sense of entitlement, just like seven Super Bowls, no one else, four is the next closest quarterback, no one, you know, I'm in a world all by myself. Uh, Then he goes and in year one in Tampa wins a Super Bowl. And he's watched the New England Patriots now haven't won a playoff game in three years. So again, he's going, from New England to Tampa, Tampa immediately wins the Super Bowl. It's going to make him think like, you know, that culture in New England, it's really, it really wasn't that. It, it's going to make him think it was me. I helped a great deal establish that culture. I was used as the whipping boy and allowed Bill Belichick. It, it's going to make him elevate his own value and how he sees himself on the football field. And then the uh, here's the thing that I really think perhaps you're underestimating. Doesn't excuse what he's doing, but I'm telling it's a thought that's running through his mind. For the course of his 23, 24 years in the NFL, I, I, I think it's 23 years or whatever, uh, he has in his mind and in reality taken less money than what a franchise quarterback of his level of accomplishment should take. He's sitting around looking like, that Prescott's making $40 million a year? Deshaun Watson didn't play last year. Has 22 women uh, accusing him of sexual assault. And they just broke the bank for him in Cleveland. And Tom Brady, year after year after year, and has never been the highest paid quarterback. And so I, I think in his mind, not justifying, but I'm talking in his mind, if I'm going to sacrifice financially and allow, I'm not going to be Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers and take up 18, 19, 20% of the salary cap, whatever that number is, and allow you to build a complete team around me. If I'm going to make that financial sacrifice, there are things that I am owed. In his mind, I'm not saying that's accurate, but in his mind, there are things that I am owed. And, you know, me getting to play with Gronk, us having to tolerate Antonio Brown, uh, you know, the head coach letting me and Byron Leftwich work out the offense. He, that's for that, for that 10 million I'm leaving on the table. And the, let's say he, let's say he's left a hundred million over the course of his career on the table. He's like, this is what I want in return. And, and particularly, and now that I'm doing it at 43, 44 years old, 
This is what I want in return. And I, I say those thoughts are going to creep into your mind and your head. And at age 44, uh, I, and just being a human being, it does not shock me that those thoughts are winning the war in his mind right now. And he has, he's not apologizing to anybody for wanting things his way, given what he believes his value is and what he has sacrificed. I disagree uh, so far as to mean I'm, I am surprised because as you mentioned with LeBron, he did things when he was 25 that he wouldn't do when he's 45. Tom Brady is old enough that he should have some serious self-awareness, self-awareness at the level we've never seen before. He's a quarterback with an unbelievable amount of success that was in the most well-oiled machine in modern day sports. And so I would expect when you are with the greatest coach that's ever lived and you live two decades worth of principles that you followed to a T in order to have that success, that you would be able to evaluate that properly. And I, and I don't disagree that he's not evaluating these properly. I disagree, meaning I'm surprised. I'm surprised he's not looking around and saying, I am the greatest ever because of these principles that I followed, because I had a great coach, because the Patriot way works. And we're going to see this. I mean, like we talked about, look, take America, for example. America is the most innovative country in the history of the world. What we've done over the last 250 years will never be matched again in all likelihood. And certainly even other countries right now, China, they have the smartest people in the world. They come over here and crush our ACT scores and, and get into all the schools. With us. And yet China has their own version of Apple. It's China Apple and it's China Google, right? It's like they sort of make fun of this on that Silicon Valley show. They're stealing our intellectual property because America has created a culture that has unlocked immeasurable success. And that's the culture of America. That was the Patriot way. Tom Brady had the talent, but there's tons of people with a talent. And he should be able to recognize that my talent, when it is mixed with these principles, allowed me to have success that we've never seen in team sports before. So I'm surprised he hasn't been able to recognize that as a 44-year-old, 45-year-old man. It would be different to me if he won six Super Bowls in his first six years and he's 29 years old and he's getting out and he's the man. He's 45. He's been through some rough seasons. He's been on teams where the Belichick defense carried him and he didn't have a whole lot of guys. He's been on teams where the principals took a bunch of undrafted guys and made them pro bowlers. It is the, the culture that created that. Tom Brady was not responsible for the great Belichick defenses. Tom Brady was responsible for what Tom Brady does. And he's told us that. How many times has Tom Brady said, I can only tell you that I'm responsible for what I say. I'm responsible for what Tom Brady says. I'm responsible for what Tom Brady does. So why then suddenly when you switch teams, do you think you're responsible for what the head coach does and what the offensive coordinator does and the personnel? He's moved completely away from the guy that followed the principles to become the greatest ever. And again, at age 45, that's pretty surprising to me. You should have more self-awareness than what he's displaying. And so, can't disagree with anything you said. I just wanna give you another way to look at it that will in no way change your opinion, but I just wanna float some thoughts or a thought that perhaps you at 30 years old, uh, you, you wouldn't naturally think of this analogy. What you're describing 
is a man going through a midlife crisis, a man that in his early to mid 20s stood before a church, stood before his family and friends, stood before God, made a vow uh, about marriage and monogamy and all these things. And, and then he gets 20 years into that relationship and he starts, is this it? Is it, man, the, the, the next 30 <laughs> years, this is all, this is it, huh? And then, and then they convince themselves foolishly in their mind, there's something better. Mm. And if I just had the right sports car, and you know what, I need a girlfriend, and she needs to be, you know, 15 years younger than me. And, and you know what, this family that I've constructed and all that, it's not better than me riding around in a sports car with a young girlfriend, wife, mistress, whatever, and it'll be much better than this stable culture that I've created that helped me become super successful and helped me realize all these goals and look at these beautiful kids and blah, 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 blah. And so this is what men and women do. They, they always think the grass is greener. And so Tom Brady, and obviously this is no defense, but this is him just saying, you know, I've always thought of Tom Brady as just another man, puts his pants on one leg at a time, has all the flaws as everybody else. And it's, what, it's like when people hear me criticize LeBron James, uh, they don't understand that what I'm also saying is like, the, the reason I recognize his mistakes is because I would be making the same mistakes if my life experience was exactly like his. I, I, I've, I've, when you're born with all that talent that LeBron James was, the way people treat you, the way, you're, the, the way you grow accustomed to the way people treat you, it makes you entitled. It makes you lose self-awareness. It doesn't stop you from being a good person because, again, I, I've told people, and I, I say this with affection and love, this is one of the friends I love the most, Jeff George. We grew up together. Pro I promise you, he was born with as much athletic talent as anybody that's ever been born in America. And so I saw how we treated him, his friends, how teachers, how coaches, and, and, and then some people were like, well, how can he behave this way during his NFL career? I was like, well, I could have told you that when, when, you know, when I was 16 and the way to get him to come to our off-season voluntary summer workouts was for me to let him drive my car to the, the workouts. That's mm. how I would bait him to come to our workouts. And, <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> and so it, it just, I, 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 I look at Tom Brady and, and I just see a man going through a midlife crisis. He has come out of character. And if he had a bit more control and if he, if I get, I got this hot young wide receiver, Antonio Brown. Yeah, he's hard to control, but we got to put up with him because, you know, he makes everything taste better and or makes the offense go better. Bob, that I see a, a, a typical man who and then I'll add this other layer. And where this midlife crisis happens, because I've already been through it in 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 my 40s and I could show you the receipts and the mistakes and <laughs> and and the women that I chase I, I've already been through and the only thing that gets you on the other side of that is a relationship with God 
is mm. a commitment to Christian principles. And, and, and that I, I see Tom Brady, and I don't know where Tom Brady has ever been on the religious spectrum, but I look at the guy the last three, four or five years, and I don't see someone on a spiritual journey. I see someone on a journey to glorify himself, win as many Super Bowls as he possibly can, and get the credit for it. I mean, again, I, I agree with you. Leaving New England made no sense giving up, but he, there was an extra layer of glory and that he mm -hmm. thought would come from winning a Super Bowl on his own and fulfillment. And, and so I, I see someone like most of America disconnected from God and those mm -hmm. type principles. And so now he's about pleasuring himself. Happens to a lot of men. I've been through it. Uh, and hopefully, you know, Tom will live long enough to realize that grass actually isn't greener. Uh, and, and, you know, that stable thing that you and Bill Belichick, that culture actually worked for you and took you to great heights that no one else has been to. So that would be my last little bit of old man wisdom I would, I would give to you, uh, TJ. I think that's excellent. Um, I will tell you, I have a friend who played for the Patriots in the early 2000s, Grant Williams, his name, offensive lineman. And we were uh, actually at Bible study one time discussing a very, very young man's version of Tom Brady's midlife crisis. Do you remember him going on 60 Minutes in 2001 and saying, you know, he has that, that picture where he's got both of his hands on his head, where he wins these, the newspapers already up and all that on stage. And they have, they have that picture next to him, I think. And he's like, so I get there and I do it. So it's like my first year as a starter and I win the Super Bowl, And I'm like, man, there's gotta be more to it than this. That was a very early version of his midlife crisis. And instead of turning to God, he grew up in a strong Catholic family. I have never heard Tom discuss God. I don't believe that he's a believer, certainly a not, not a public believer. And so I think what Tom decided in that moment is, oh, it's just got to be about being the greatest ever then. And so he put his head back into the sand instead of he had his aha moment. He had his moment of I'm 22. I, I got the whole world at my fingertips and I'm still not fulfilled. There's got to be more. And he should have gone on a spiritual journey. Instead, he went on this journey of becoming the greatest ever. And when you decide it's about you and being the greatest ever, this is the natural end to that. Oh, people are still saying it's Belichick. Well, I'll show him. And I will run everything just like he does. People say Belichick's everything because he's a personnel guy, the GM and the head coach. I'll be the quarterback, head coach and GM down in Tampa. And I'll do it my first year. And I'll show all you guys I'm the greatest ever. So I love your point about there being a separation from God. I actually think he had his midlife crisis moment 20 something years ago. And this is just the end result of all of it. And you're looking at someone 54 that made a bunch of career decisions about because I wanted to be the best sports columnist of all time. I wanted to win the Pulitzer Prize. And, you know, because Mike Royko did. And so my, my whole life was completely focused on my career and it compromised the decisions I made in my personal life, didn't value people that I should have valued. You could go to my family and all them and they knew like, man, Jason's into his career and, you know, he only has so much time for us. All a mistake. 
all, all of them that I'm now trying to correct, and I'm looking back like, man, I, I, and this career success has allowed me to do things for my family and people that I really value, and it's allowed me to live a great life. Uh, but man, do I have some regrets that I, my life has been out of balance. And I, you know, Tom Brady obviously has a great wife and kids and all that, but I do think his life is a bit out of balance, and now his work life is even perhaps a bit out of balance. I, I'm not sure, and, and there's a lot of pressure, in my view, going to be on Todd Bowles. And because mm. they have, you make bold moves like this, they have to win the Super Bowl next year or the following year because I, I think Tampa made this decision to move on from Arians probably because they got a two-year commitment from Brady. I'm not sure if they do this just for this final last season with Tom Brady, but maybe they, di maybe they did. But uh, Todd Bowles, to me, has the most pressure on him of any head coach in football coming up this season. I think that's probably true. I also, I didn't go anywhere with this thought because I wanted to think a lot more about uh, the Patriot way and Tom Brady and why, how he sort of turned from the expectations of who at least I perceived him to be. But I do wonder if this is a little bit of a uh, DIE play because they moved the old white man out of the way. They brought in a black coach who is a very good defensive coordinator, but was awful in his one stint at head coach up in New York and in Tom Brady's uh, thank you Instagram post, he made sure to point out that that uh, Bruce Arians had done more for inclusion and diversity than anybody else in the league. So all that together, again, I didn't go too far down that road, but I wonder if there's something more to that. Hey, we're in the middle of a of a storm. Tom doesn't like Arians anyway. Let's get a black dude. Let's let's up our numbers a little bit on the black head coaches. We can show that as another minority coach. That, there may be a little more to that tree. I think there's several layers. Uh, not to any fault of Todd Bowles. I mean, to, to what you said about him, he's in a great, this is as good of opportunity as any coach will get in his second time around, and I hope he takes uh, advantage of it. Did you say Tom Brady said that Bruce Arians had done more for diversity, inclusion, and equity than he? Yes. Well, so I don't know if he said he did more exactly. I actually have the, uh, I'll pull it up right here. He said you were, <sighs> yes. He said, you are a true NFL legend and pioneer for all the work you have done to make the league more diverse and inclusive. That's in paragraph one of Tom Brady's thank you. So that's why I wonder if there's, I think there's some layers to this. Hey, just, just so you know, we're all aware. You did this. Here's your legacy. Also, I don't want anything to do with you. Make sure you don't come back in this locker room. But you're great, <laughs> and let's bring in the black dude. Yeah, I, I didn't. Brady hopping on the diversity woke bandwagon. So inauthentic. Know, he's gone from, yeah, he's gone from the Trump hat to DIE, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to marinate on that. I'll have more to say about that uh, perhaps <laughs> later. Thank you, TJ. Hey, real quick before I, I go here, I finally, oh, got some, uh, I finally got some fearless gear. This is like the feel-good stuff. No wonder Uncle Jimmy looks so comfortable all the time. See this? Awesome job. Go to shopblazemedia.com 
uh, slash fearless to get your fearless swag. Uh, thank you for wearing that, TJ. I appreciate that. All right, let me tell you guys about uh, Good Ranchers, my good friends at Good Ranchers. The way inflation is in this is is right now in this country right now. Going to the grocery store is becoming a little bit like going to a luxury car dealership. If you haven't seen the price of meat lately, <laughs> you're in for a pretty nasty surprise. Thank goodness there's a solution. Good Ranchers, they only source and sell 100% American meat from local farms and ranches. You order it and they send it right to your door. It's just that simple. And guess what? You can beat inflation with Good Ranchers. Once you subscribe, your best price is locked in for life. Get your $30 discount on prime steaks and better than organic chicken today at goodranchers.com fearless. Use my promo code fearless and enjoy your box of 100% American meat and your $30 savings. Order now to combat inflation with Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. And listen, I, I live in a bubble and in a you know fantasy world, but even I, I, I've, I've noticed like, man, I hop on Instacart or go to the grocery store. These prices are outrageous, man. That, 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 you know, stuff that used to cost $2 costs $4. If it used to cost $4, it costs 10, it feels like. You can lock in your price at Good Ranchers uh, and beat inflation. That's a heck of a bargain and a heck of a deal. Uh, I went, I told you guys I went home last week and I had sent my mother a couple of the seafood and the cowboy deal uh, from Good Ranch and she cooked it all up. We played cards, me, her, my aunt, uh, some cousins of mine came over, one of my mom's best friends, Ann, came over. We sat around, played cards, drank, had a good time with Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers creates good memories. All right, Steve Kim, next. All right, welcome back. Time to roll out to Los Angeles and bring in the Korean Cosell to talk a little more sports. Uh, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Bruce Arians stepping aside, I believe, because, you know, Tom Brady wants Bruce Arians to step aside. Tom Bowles, uh, Todd Bowles elevated to head coach. We'll talk a little bit about uh, Colin Kaepernick and John Har Jim Harbaugh, I'm sorry, the Michigan coach, the publicity, biggest publicity whore in all of sports, Jim Harbaugh. And we'll talk about uh, the Final Four, college basketball Final Four, Duke versus North Carolina, Kansas versus Villanova, I believe. Uh, anyway, uh, Korean Cosell, you got a problem with uh, Tom Brady uh, pushing Bruce Arians out the window? You know, not not really. This this to me is a deal that everyone kind of understood had to happen, that it's obvious to me, looking back at what took place about two and a half months ago, Tom Brady wasn't quite ready to retire. He wanted to play, but he really wanted to play without Bruce Arians. And we've all heard the reports about Bruce Arians being a little bit checked out, meddling in the game plans that him and Byron Leftwich would formulate, and then there'd be this 11th hour conflict over how the offense was going to be directed on game day. Um, look, certain moves have to be made. It's a graceful exit for Bruce Arians, who could say, look, I've had a long coaching career. Uh, I won a Super Bowl. I led another team to a 12-win season. And uh, now I get to hand off the baton to Todd Bowles, a protege of mine. And, 
And this is probably very important to Bruce Arians. He gets social justice points. I think he's big on that. He's one of those coaches that hired female coaches before the uh, new version of the Rooney rule. So I guess everyone looks good. But at the end of the day, Tampa Bay said to themselves, wait a minute, wait a minute. If we're only going to get one or two years of one guy, Arians or Brady, who is more difficult to replace? That's an easy question. It's rhetorical. It's TV 12. Uh, so TJ Moe just came on here and said something that I almost pushed back on and I want to go look. You know, he said Todd Bowles was awful in his stint as a head coach with the Jets. I don't know if that's accurate. I thought he had a very good first year and then kind of it awful seemed like a strong, strong take. What's your thoughts on Todd Bowles? Will he be able to handle it? He's going to be under as much pressure as any coach in the NFL next year. He's got to win a Super Bowl or it's, it's, it's not a success. Look, that's like giving a jockey a donkey and saying, go win the Kentucky Derby. He was on the Jets. Look, even even Willie Shoemaker needed a thoroughbred to be competitive or Lafitte Pinkai, or and that's about the only jockeys that I know. You got to have a horse. You've got to, like, a, an old trainer one time told me, Macafoli, he used to work the mitts with me at Wild Card Boxing. God rest his soul. He said, Steve, the right kid walks into your life. You're the smartest man in boxing. You don't get any talent and you're me. The bottom line is very simple. Vincent T. Lombardi could not win with that organization the way it was constructed. Todd Bowles, to me, uh, has a shot now. And remember the, remember Joe Torrey? Joe Torrey is now regarded as one of the greatest managers who ever lived. But when I was growing up as a kid, what I remember about Joe Torrey was he was a very good Major League Baseball player. He had one good year with the Atlanta Braves. They made the Cinderella run in 82 the rest of his managing career from Atlanta to St. Louis was incredibly mediocre. And in fact, when he got hired by the Yankees, people were jumping off the Empire State Building saying, this guy is terrible. What's funny, being with the Yankees and having an unlimited payroll, that kind of made him a little bit smarter. So I, I, I actually disagree with TJ. I think it's unfair. And I agree with you. He did the best in a very bad situation in New York. And now he's got a great one. Well, I, I, I'm going to have to defend TJ a little bit here because now my memory's been refreshed. Four years with the Jets, he started out 10-6, and six, didn't make the playoffs, but had a good 10-6 yeah. season. Then he went 5-11, 5-11, 4 24-40 overall with the Jets. Uh, fourth place finish, four straight years. Uh, he is consistent. You didn't you have set to the world on fire. No, he didn't. But again, <laughs> the Jets are a bad organization. It's a terrible team. And, and I go back to how talent is important. Uh, the manager for Ray Robinson, George Gainford, they asked him one time, well, how much do you know about boxing? And he goes, well, when I have Sugar Ray Robinson on my stool, I'm the smartest guy in the world. Well, now he's got Sugar Ray Robinson in, in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, led by Tom Brady. So let's see how this is. I remember, you know, it used to be funny about black coaches in college football. Remember in the 80s, every good assistant black coach, I remember it started with Ron Dickerson at Temple. Um, he had a long career under Joe Paterno at Penn State. But for a long time, black coaches could not get the marquee jobs. Sylvester Croom went to Mississippi State, which is probably the 11th best job in the SEC. Well, now we're seeing a guy 
who is a black coach, getting a great job. Let's see how he does with it, because now the deck is stacked in his favor for once. So, and I'm going to leave this alone, but let's just remember. Oh, my God. He couldn't win with the Jets. The, the Jets are a terrible organization. Listen, Jay. Jay, let me tell you, the Jets are... <laughs> uh, the Cincinnati Bengals just played in the Super Bowl. Zach Taylor took the Bengals job and the alleged worst owner in all the professional sports, the alleged cheapest franchise in all the professional sports, just played in the Super Bowl. So all right. it, it's on the, you get one of these 32 jobs, I'm not crying for you because you didn't get the best of the 32 jobs. All right, first of all, I don't know if that was a terrible impersonation of me that you just did or a good impersonation of Uncle Jimmy impersonating me. I'm going to have to figure that out. Okay, all right, let me get back to the Bengals now. The, Zach Taylor was a guy that once he was hired, a lot of people had that side eye like, oh, wait a minute, if you're the water boy for Sean McVay, do you get an NFL job? And his first year was a disaster. It's interesting, though. With the, the quick development of a young man by the name of Joey Football Burrow, all of a sudden his IQ raised 100 points. It matters. When you are a coach, and this goes for all levels, if you have a quarterback, half your job is done. That's the truth. One of the reasons why I believe Mario Cristobal went back to his alma mater at Miami is not only the fact he went there, they have a kid by the name of Tyler Van Dyke who might be a top five pick. And he said, wait a minute, that quarterback room is good. Most head coaches are generally married to an excellent quarterback, at least the ones that are really successful. Keep that in mind. Zach Taylor didn't suddenly become a great coach. Uh, he suddenly had the rapid ascension of Joey football Burrow. It matters. I'm trying to, oh, uh, well, I think <laughs> Michael Vick was, was the Jets quarterback in 2015? Yeah, is my, yeah. Is my memory? What? Yes, he was, and he was old. It looked like Muhammad Ali against Larry Holmes. It didn't look the same. <laughs> it, was, it was not the same. All right. I spent more time on this than I planned on. I wanted to talk to you about uh, uh, Woke Harbaugh, uh, Jim <sighs> Woke Harbaugh. <sighs> what message is he sending bringing Colin Kaepernick to be the captain of his team. Here's here, hey guys, here's the ultimate victim in sports. Uh, the guy who, you know, can't stand the country, kneels during the national anthem, calls football racist. Hey guys, that's the captain of your team. Well, I mean, what's up? Jim Harbaugh will do anything. Jim Harbaugh will one day hire a porn star uh, to be the offensive <laughs> coordinator of the uh, Michigan Wolverines. He'll do a couple thoughts for a couple thoughts here, Jim, uh, Jason. You got me thinking. Is the new Michigan fight song going to be "Hail to the Victims"? Uh, Bo Schembechler <laughs> has to be rolling over in his grave. When I saw that and I sent it to you, I, I, I actually just at that point, I've got my ankle wrapped in heavy ace bandages because I jumped off that bandwagon. I don't understand this. I have a question. If they play the national anthem before the spring game at the big house, is Colin Kaepernick going to take a knee? That's what I want to see. That's going to be the biggest moment of the whole game. I don't care that they have a new offensive coordinator. I don't care if they work in their new quarterback. That's going to challenge McNamara. But I always believed, and I was always a hardball fan. You and I have gone back and forth on this. 
He's a winner. He's rebuilt programs. He's gone to the mountaintop. The one thing that I always questioned him about was, th this is the truth. He would actually drink milk with his steak. This move here actually churns my stomach a little bit more. Um, by the way, my source is in Columbus, Ohio. This is a high-stake game of chess. Ryan Day has now hired Cheryl Miller as his new offensive coordinator because they got to go on that social justice chess game that they're playing. But I, I just don't get what Harbaugh is doing here. I really don't. Well, he's doing things for attention. He's trying to appeal to these 18, 19-year-old woke athletes that all think that, you know, militancy and protesting America is the greatest thing in the world. And so it's something that Jim Harbaugh wants to be popular over social media. Nick Saban wants to win football games. And Jim Harbaugh thinks being popular over social media will lead to yeah. winning football games. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if that's what Ohio State and Ryan Day think. I'm not, I, I don't know. I'm off of Jim Harbaugh. He's a little woke tool. Uh, he spent too much time in, in the Bay Area uh, from, from Stanford to uh, the San Francisco 49ers. He spent way too much time in Northern California. Yeah, and Jason, I've actually been doing a little bit of a deep dive. It's been coming up on my YouTube timeline. I've been watching a lot of old Bo Schembechler clips for some reason. Um, that's a guy that as I get older, I like more and more. I always thought when I was a younger kid, I thought I didn't like Bo. Uh, old fogey guy, always played for the Rose Bowl, didn't care about the national title. But his values uh, are something that resonate with me uh, in my older age. But that this is a guy who believed in being a Michigan man, doing things the right way, integrity, and having uh, a commitment and respect for your teammates, that everything is about the team. What would Bo Schembler think of this? Because everything that Colin Kaepernick has done the last five, six years – has been everything that I believe that the Michigan football program isn't. And I get it. Every coach has to be a little bit more progressive. They can't be Bear Bryant. And I know that um, Nick Saban marched with his players a couple of years ago. Ryan Day was very understanding about a player recently, a, a, a mental health issue. Didn't pressure him to play football. I said, look, whatever best for you, do it. But uh, Jim Harbaugh has gone so far out of bounds with this, um, it's mind-boggling in many ways. Again, that's another coach who wants to be invited to the barbecue. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get to the biggest event over the weekend, uh, unless w Will Smith slapped somebody else over the weekend <laughs> uh, this coming weekend. Uh, Final Four. I was on a podcast yesterday on a show yesterday for the Daily Wire, Crane and Company, and it's a sports show the Daily Wire has put out. These guys hit me with UNC Duke. It's the most anticipated uh, NCAA tournament game in history. And, what? and I, these are young guys. And I go, hey, man, what are you, are you must be 12 or 13 years old. Do, do, do you, have you ever heard of two guys named Magic and Bird? You know they met in the NCAA championship game in 1979. I, you want to talk about anticipation, magic and birth. You look. This is even before my time, but and this was just a regular yeah. season game. Fifty thousand people showed up to see Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Elvin Hayes yes. play in the Astrodome. Uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. That was a national championship. You are you a thousand percent? No, no. They played twice. Oh, wow. They played twice. They played twice. One was a regular season game 
where Kareem was nicked up with an eye injury, excuse me, Lou Alcindor, in the Astrodome. Then they rematched in the Final Four, and UCLA just hammered them. Mm. All right, so thank you for that. Because I, I, I rem- the Astrodome game was regular season. Yes. And then you say they met again in the Final Four. Yes. Okay, so I, I, was, Jason, I was half right. Uh, yeah. Jason, let me give you an Go example ahead. of how big college basketball used to be. And I remember this as a kid growing up in Valencia, California. This was Patrick Ewing's sophomore year. They had just lost that last second game to uh, North Carolina. The young man by the name of Mike Jordan hits this jumper from the wing to win it. So the next year, they set up a game between young Patrick Ewing as a sophomore and Ralph Sampson, who I believe at that point was a senior. That game was actually so big as a regular season non-conference game, it was syndicated nationally on a local station so everyone across the country could see it. That's for a game that took place, I believe, in late November, early December. And it was kind of built as the Ollie Frazier of big men. And I remember Virginia held on to a big lead late, holding off the rally of the Hoyas. But when you talk about Final Four games, you know one of the issues is I don't I remember starting lineups, or most of them from 20 to 25 years ago, of certain teams from Kentucky, certainly UNLV, Michigan, not just the Fab Five, but the 89 team. Even teams that didn't win, 89 Illinois, which may have been one of the best teams I've ever seen that didn't win it. I, I'll be honest with you, Jason. I, I'm not exactly Dickie V. I don't know a single player on either side by heart. It's a great story because it's a great rivalry on Tobacco Road. It could be Coach K's last game. But other than that, I'll watch it. I won't care about it. But there used to be a time, Jay, and I've told you this before, Big Monday was a thing. Sunday afternoon games with Dick Vitale and Keith Jackson. I mean, basketball was so different. I remember David Robinson. I don't remember this. He was the best player in college basketball, and he went to Navy. And I'll never forget one game he plays at uh, Rupp Arena. He scored 50 on Kentucky. They end up losing. The whole Kentucky crowd, after he fouls out, gives them a standing ovation. I still remember where I was to this day when I watched it. Now, Jason, I don't even remember anything that happened from last week during the Elite Eight. So you're really telling me, or them, that's the biggest Final Four game of all time? Really? Really? I, I, I'm just sitting here, I just, just to refresh my memory, because you mentioned Big Monday. And I yes. think that involved a Big East team. Am I correct? Yes. I, I'm pretty yes, sure that would involve Big East teams. Yes. And so... My, the gambling habit that I cannot shake as an adult <laughs> is attached to Big Monday. I was in college at Ball State at the time. Every Monday, we would watch Big Monday and shoot craps. And, <laughs> and so Pearl Washington oh. and the Big East and Syracuse, and all, I mean, those regular season games would just, they would stop what you were doing, you know, we were in college, Jason. crack open some beer, and shoot dice and gamble. Big Monday was a was the big stage. Jason, college basketball is so big. During Big Monday, what they did was, especially during the back-to-back year of UNLV, when they ended up going undefeated, losing to Duke, the Big Monday game would always end up at 9 o'clock p.m. Uh, Pacific time, midnight Eastern time, but they'd get huge ratings because of UNLV. And they would play teams like New Mexico State, because I think they were in the Big West at that time. They'd play UCSB. Uh, they would play Fresno State. 
and they would literally jump out to like 25 to nothing runs. But it was such beautiful basketball. And that's another factor of why I think college basketball has an issue. And it is a product of one and done. But I'm looking at, I'm charting the scores of the games nowadays. And my good friend Dave Smith, who does national radio, probably knows more basketball from a technical and fundamental standpoint than anyone that I've ever met. He made a great point on Twitter. He said, when I was growing up as, as a fan of the 70s and 80s and even 90s, a lot of these games were in the 80s, 90s, and 100s without a three-point shot, without a shot clock. Now these games, Jay, if they get to 75, you're like, wow, it's really up and down. Uh, it's boring. It's bad basketball. It's overcoached. The tempo is slow. There's no real shot-making skill. Consider this, Jason. In the late mid to late 70s, without a shot clock or a three-point line, UNLV led by Tark the Shark, they averaged, check this out, they averaged 110 points per game. Their 1990 title team with Larry Johnson, Stacey Ogman, Anderson Hunt, and Greg Anthony, they only scored 100 points 16 times. Jason, I think there are college programs that haven't scored 16 points in uh, 100 points 16 times in the past decade. It's a hard watch, Jason. At the end of the day, this is just entertainment. I'm not entertained. Well, I, I think, you know, the people that are all excited about this game, and look, there is some excitement. I, it's yes. Coach K's last game. But watching a coach shout from the sideline is not yeah. why I watch <laughs> basketball. I, I want to know who the guys are on the court. I want them to have some hype and branding and celebrity around them and thought, oh, my God, this guy's going to be the next big thing in the NBA. We don't have any of that. Instead, we'll have Coach K shouting from the sidelines yes. and Hubert Davis shouting from the sidelines. And Jim Nance and Grant Hill will do the – and Bill Raftery, I think, they'll do the best they can to hype this up. But this ain't five slam pajama. Yeah. No, it's not. No, well, Jason, Jason, by the way, five slam a jamma that I was a kid still back in Valencia. That semifinal game they played against Louisville was like a dunk contest within a game. And, and some of the stuff Clyde Drexler did was incredible. But I know that you were a Michigan fan. You covered the Fab Five. Maybe the other greatest Final Four game that I could recall um, was the 1992 semifinals. This is their sophomore year. They played this really good Kentucky team led by Rick Pitino and Jamal Mashburn. It was like they had like five other NBA guys. That game, I believe, went into overtime. And I think that game was at the Superdome. Unbelievable game. And you literally had about nine NBA players on the floor at one time. And you're thinking, this was great drama. Now I'm watching it. It's just a bunch of guys that are there for five months. They don't even register for the spring semester, which is okay. And then they get drafted, and five years later, you're thinking, he went to Duke and can't – it's like there's no brand awareness with any of these guys. Like, Jason, like I said, I'm going to watch the game. But there used to be a time, Jason, I would wrap my weekends around that whole Final Four weekend and that Monday night. Um, I can't even remember who won last year. I think it was Baylor. Didn't they beat Baylor. Gonzaga? Baylor won. Okay. I'm there friends with Scott Drew, so I know Baylor okay. won. Anyway, I got to go, bro. Thank you. Uh, let me tell you guys about ExpressVPN. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like leaving your car keys in your car while you run into the gas station for a snack. Most of the time, you're probably fine. But what if you come back and see someone driving away with your car? 
Why does everyone need a VPN? Every time you connect to unencrypted networks, whether that's at cafes, hotels, airports, any hacker on the same network can gain access to your personal data. It doesn't take much technical knowledge to hack someone. A smart 12-year-old kid could do it. Your data is valuable. Hackers can make up to $1,000 per person selling personal info on the dark web. Please, please get involved with ExpressVPN, ExpressVPN if you want to protect yourself. We are living in an age where big tech companies, not just individual hackers, but big tech companies are harvesting your personal data and information and selling it and making a profit off of you. And just quite frankly, we're, we're living in an era where the government, I'm just sorry, NSA, all the, they're all spying on you. And I just don't trust any of them. And so you need to have something like ExpressVPN to protect you. This is how, again, this entire show is about how to protect yourself and be self-sufficient in a very chaotic time in American history. ExpressVPN is the way you do that. Protect your data, protect your privacy. You don't need other people, government agencies, who, who God knows who, tracking what you're doing on the internet. That is your business. And I'm not talking about protect yourself from, uh, if you're doing something illegal, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about your privacy, things we used to take for granted here in America, the right to privacy. We're surrendering all of that. That's why ExpressVPN is the perfect campaign. We all have to be on the internet. It works on your phones. It works on any device. ExpressVPN is exactly what you need to protect your privacy, to protect your data, and not to be exploited during this chaotic time in American history. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com fearless. You'll get an extra three months free if you add now that's express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash fearless. You need to do it. ExpressVPN is on your side. They believe what you believe. That there are some American rights and freedoms and privacy that you deserve. They're going to help you get it. Go to expressvpn.com slash fearless right now. Uncle Jimmy Dirks. We must exist in a state of man glorious as we are protected by the red, the white, and the blue. But remember, the mind is the key. The fearless soldier pledges to place God first and foremost in his everyday endeavors of life. We, the fearless army, are one nation under God, indivisible with freedom and a belief in the American dream. The men bold enough to join our movement comprise what we like to call the new dream team. We are leaders of our families, our churches, and, and of this, this nation. We reject the seeds of division that are planted by corporate media misinformation. We affirm that all men are created equal and are endowed with inalienable rights which are granted by our Heavenly Father. 
We are bound by honor to accept God's challenge, to take the flag and lead, to cherish, to protect, and to nurture the life of our unborn seed. I am a fearless soldier, so shed no tears for me. I am not a victim. I am the man that God made me to be. Amen. All right, welcome back. Uncle Jimmy's here. And uh, he told me earlier today, man, how come y'all ain't talking about Will Smith today? We've been talking about him all week. Uncle Jimmy said he had a way for us to squeeze Will Smith into this show, the slap heard around the world. What, what, what you got, Jimmy? That, look, man, that's, that's not exactly how that happened. Oh. My, my whole deal with this whole Will Smith thing is, I keep saying, I don't think y'all really getting this whole Will Smith. Because you, you say it, everyone, oh, Will Smith is a good guy. Yeah, I don't think y'all getting this. I keep telling you it's more to Will Smith than, okay, anyway, you said that The First Prince is one of your favorite shows, yes, right? Yes. You said this, right? Yes. Hey man, let me see if you remember this episode of The Fresh Prince. Check this out right here. Promise me you'll be on your best behavior tonight. Hey, aren't I always? Will, I'm serious. It's really important that Maurice appear on my show. Everything has to go smoothly with his sister tonight. I know, really, all kidding aside, Hill, I know how much this means to you, and it means a lot to me, too. I'm not going to let you down. Okay, <laughs> thank you. May I present Miss Jasmine Perry? <laughs> Which one of you handsome men's is Big Willie? Cheers! <laughs> mm, I'm ready to get my freak on. Looks like you already got it on. <laughs> Listen, uh, you, you wouldn't want to go someplace, you know, that was a little quieter, you know, maybe darker. <laughs> Me, Big Willie, but I'm game. Let's do this. Let's go. Yeah. You know what? Uh, on second thought, I think that this place will be just fine. It's kind of appropriate uh, right now. Uh, Chris Rock uh, playing Will Smith's uh, date. Chris Rock was playing the part of his sister. Will Smith's sister. No, Chris Rock was playing the part of his sister. His sister. And in order for Will, see, here's the deal about that episode. This was the episode that in order for Will to, he wanted to get Chris Rock to do an interview for Hillary's show. In order to get Chris to do the show, he had to take. Chris's sister out and make sure that oh. she had a good time. <laughs> okay. So that's what that whole thing was. And so you think this means Will Smith's not innocent? Is that, is that, I, I, I'm, I'm just simply saying to you that we've heard the rumors that Hollywood is really quick to throw a black actor in a dress. We've heard this. We, we try to argue with it, but we've heard it. Let me ask you a question, big bro. We just saw Chris Rock. See, we forgot Chris Rock did that, right? 
I did not forget, but I'm not surprised. Or I, I don't no, know. Let me ask you. Me, can I run this down this list real quick? Go ahead. Wesley Snipes. Remember him? He, they put West. Oh, mm. yeah. Two Wong Fu, Devil in Blue Dress. One of them. Remember Eddie Murphy? Doesn't surprise me. He's Norbert. A Remember him? Norbert, Granny Clump. <laughs> uh, okay. Flip Wilson. Remember? Flip Wilson for sure. Yeah. Martin Lawrence. Mar- Big Mama. Shanae. Mm. Let me ask you about Tyler Perry. Let me ask you a question. Oh, well, we, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Does Tyler Perry own a pair of Stacey Adams? Well, does he own a pair of pants? Okay. Remember the Wayne Brothers? The, the little they, the, 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 they did the, Remember them? Yeah. The okay. White Girls, wasn't that the name of the movie? The, yes, it was. Jamie Foxx. That was some false advertising. I went to that movie excited. <laughs> Talk about false advertisement. Look at these lips on her. Ah, oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a prerequisite. There you go. David Allen Greer. Remember him? That's your guy. He's a there you go. Hey, man, okay. Big Look. Hey, David Allen Greer. Okay. Then, then you had one guy, Kevin Hart. You can't make me get in a dress. Jason, I promise you, the next weekend he was on Saturday Night Live just like that. <laughs> I got one more. Remember, ba- remember Baby Boy? Yeah, the movie Baby Boy? Remember the movie Baby Boy? Yeah. Remember that was Ben, ben Reigns? Did you know Vin Raines played in Holiday Heart? I did not. I'd never heard of that movie. There, there's Vin Raines in Holiday Heart. So I got one more for you real quick, real quick, because here's, here's one more guy that played in a movie. And I want to see if you can just tell me who this is just real quick. I know. Just, just take a quick look. What movie is this? That... Wild, oh, Wild Wild West. That was one of my favorite TV shows. I don't know if I ever saw the movie. But wasn't, I think Will Smith was one of the lead characters. He was the lead character. He was the lead character? He, he, he was, yes, yes. Pretty much. I thought Wild Wild, wasn't two guys in Wild Wild West, the, the big, and he had a sidekick? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, yeah, you, you, you had, the bottom line is, oh, you, you can't really tell who that is. What that's that, Will Smith. That's Will Smith. Will, yeah. The thing about this, this funny is, man, Will, Will Smith did this. Look at that. Look at that. That's Will. Gotcha. Do you know that Justin... Back in Dallas, oh, that ain't Will. Will wouldn't have done that. No, man, that's Will. For real. I, I'm, I'm saying to you, man, remember Dave Chappelle said that his problem in Hollywood was Hollywood is really quick to throw a black actor in a dress. And Dave Chappelle said, I ain't doing it. Evidently, Will didn't say that. <laughs> well, most of them didn't because they signed a big check uh, to get you to do that. All right, we got to be quick, but Let's don't go, hurry. Man. We got to be quick. I just had to throw hurry. that at you, man. Yeah, uh, I want our job performance, our approval rating on Bruce Arians, the former head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, They didn't make it to the Super Bowl this year. They did the previous year. Uh, So I'm going to give him a 20 in job performance. Okay, normally this is a little different for me. I'm going to give him a 24, even though he ain't got a job. He does have a job. He's got a front office job now. Yeah, but he ain't got that job no more. That corner office. Look, I give him credit for at least acting like he... Quit the job. Oh. I, I give him credit. That's a good job. Hey, he got his good Super Bowl. Right. Hey, he got his Super Bowl. They told him, oh, yeah, one thing. Tom Brady's coming back. Hey, man, who the hell I look like? Bill Belichick? I'm out of here, man. <laughs> Shout outs to my boy Bruce, man. Uh, character, uh, he's definitely on the woke parade. Uh, you know, it, it, I'm going to give him an 18 in character. I, I can't take a dump on the man. Hey, man, I give him a 20 for character. Because if I'm going to give him something for character... I might say that what he did kind of looked like the Antonio Brown character to me. 
Because it looked to me like he got he, he just quit on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right before draft season. Only thing he didn't do was jumping jacks right as he was take his clothes off as he was walking out. <laughs> authenticity. Uh, I'm a little low on his authenticity, or kind of more towards the middle. A 16 in authenticity. Any of these old guys that do this little woke stuff, I'm just not buying it. He's too old to be woke but he's pretending to be, so I give him a 16 and all. I don't think you, I don't think you miss him. I don't think you understand his ass. I give him a 25. Hey, man, I give him credit, man. He told Tampa Bay straight up, I'm not standing for this BS. Just like T.J. Moto, what'd he say? You want this dude to play quarterback, coach, and general manager? Hey, man, I'm out. Deuces. Mm. Uh, it factor, I'll give him a 15. Just because I, I can't decide. Old dude, I don't know. Right. I give him a 10. I mean, let's be real. This ain't the first time he's quit on an organization. He did it on. He did it to the Cardinals. But this time it was some extension circumstances. So I think if we look at the it factor, I think I would probably say that I think it's safe to say that Bruce Arians or T.J. Moe won't be getting invited to the Brady's Christmas party this year. Because I ain't never heard T.J. Moe talk as bad about Tom Brady as he did today. He actually did. All right, I got uh, <laughs> Bruce Arians. <laughs> At a 69, Grease Fire. Uh, you got him at a smoke show. 70, is 79 a smoke show? It's, it's a smoke show. It's, yeah. it's, it's breaking it right there. It's a smoke show. Yeah. All right, speaking of smoke Speaking shows. of smoke shows. <laughs> tomorrow, take us out with some freedom. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. I just want, I want to be. I just want, I want to be. I just want, I want to be.